Welcome, everybody, to Recovery Machine. We are here today discussing a couple issues. I think we're going to start with one which is a virtue, and then we will conclude or we'll have another section devoted to the, the current state of uh, legislation with safer supply, as they're calling it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we'll see how far we get here today. This is uh, later in the day for both of us than usual. So we'll see how long we can go before we peter out here. <laughs> but yeah, so when was that, Corey? Uh, yesterday, day before? That was Friday night that you and I talked. Yeah, so two days ago. Right. And so I've been reading the perennial philosophy, which is more Huxley. I mean, I'm... <laughs> I've just about got most of his stuff under control here, I, but I haven't. Uh, this is where he delves into kind of the big five religions right around, say, like from 500 BC to maybe 300 BC. So he's looking at, at the Far East. Uh, so he's got uh, Taoism or Taoism in there. Forget how it's pronounced properly. And then... Buddhism, uh, he's got the Christianity, Islam, Judaism, and then there's kind of a smattering of other religions in there. But what he was trying to do, I think, is, is learn as much as he could and then use the information from these ancient texts to look for similarities, look for, you know, pieces of wisdom that might align between the, the different belief systems. And there are many, as it turns out, which is like, I, I know almost nothing about that period of time where like China and the West started to mingle. And that's a very interesting time for, well, same with Islam, I guess, when, when uh, Islam first met the people of the scripture or whatever they called them. Um, but the, the, the rate of exchange of ideas is always, you know, greatly enhanced during those periods of time. But anyway, I had what I believe to be, I'm still thinking about it, but a pretty pretty big personal epiphany to do with uh, one of the virtues. They call it charity, and it's not charity like we think of charity, how uh, charity is used today. It's charity in the virtue sense. I guess there's a big problem with many of the translations from Hebrew to uh, the current forms of the Bible. Lots of the time, translators just replace the word charity with love and i guess it, it over time it came to take on a, a different meaning and i was completely unaware of i mean i'd read i've read the bible i read i am aware of the word charity obviously but i didn't know its religious significance as far as from mm. a, philo a philosophy point of view and a, a virtue point of view so this is huxley kind of going over charity as a virtue and what that means basically is the love of, depending on what, you know, whether it's Buddhism, it be the love of existence or the universe or the love of God and the love of man as thine self, as in, uh, in Christianity, the, I think it's the first commandment is love thy neighbor as thyself. And it's, it's of huge importance and it's been underlined a million times at a different, uh, in a, in a bunch of different ways. But I've never really thought about it on a personal level until I witnessed it broken down in the way that that it's broken down here. 
And I'll just read, there's a, a kind of a bit on three of the important components about this form of charity as a virtue. Please do. So first, charity is disinterest. So right away, I'm confused. <laughs> and what they mean by that is it's basically another way of saying there's no conflict of interest. There's no seeking reward. There's no expectation of being paid back. It's not influenced by considerations of personal advantage, mm -hmm. you know? So it, that's not part of it. Like if you go and you're actually giving alms, like the way we think of uh, charity, where we give a poor person something and then we go tell our friends we did it and we get a little, you know, we feel good because we're a good person. <laughs> yeah. That's not what they're talking about. Okay. So this part, this uh, virtue actually has little to do with giving alms. So you're seeking no reward, nor allowing itself to be diminished by any return of evil for its good. I'm not sure what they mean by that. I'll leave it for now. The second distinguishing mark of charity is that unlike the lower forms of love, it is not an emotion. It begins as an act of will and is consummated as a purely spiritual awareness. This is, this is where my ears started to perk up. I was like, okay, uh, it's still lots of, lots of, you know, it's the terminology. Uh, there's a few translations that I didn't understand. But Huxley does an excellent job of kind of putting this together. And then the third, the third characteristic of charity as a virtue is humility. And this is the one that, that hit me the hardest. It says, and the same is true of humility, which is the third character, characteristic mark of charity. Humility is a necessary condition of the highest form of love. And the highest form of love makes possible the consummation of humility in a total self-nodding. And I don't know for sure, you could go down a path where it gets very dark as far as the self-nodding part is concerned, but that's not what interested me. Um, the, the marks of humility was the thing that, that, that caught my, my attention. And then the fact that this is something that charity, you're thinking of a, uh, an act of the will. And as I read further, I realized that what they meant by that is... Uh, there's an exchange between a, a couple of priests, an apprentice and a, a an older Chinese priest of some sort. And the guy keeps asking him, like, how do I love God or how do I love my fellow man? And he says, well, you just love them completely and fully. And he keeps asking me, he keeps telling him the same thing. And the guy gets frustrated and he's like, okay, well, fine. You know, it doesn't make any sense to me. I'm leaving. And what the, what the master eventually tells him is that it's, it's, something that you practice and then become better at. And that's where uh, it really clicked for me. And I looked at the way that I've been viewing humanity is deeply flawed, I believe. You know, I talked about the beehive or that angst that I feel in my stomach. Mm -hmm. As soon as I realized the connection here between the way I view other people and this virtue that the beehive dampened down by about half just by realizing it. And I, and I, I was blown away and I started thinking about the way I think of other people and there's many problems there. So I, I kind of wrote out uh, a bit of a, you know, summary here so I can stay on track. Mm -hmm. I'm still working on this a little bit, but 
So I realized that a large part of what is driving my angst is negativity towards other people. I judge people, I look down on people, and I push people away. I've done that my whole uh, adult life, whether I like to admit it or not. I do this almost certainly on a subconscious level and sometimes consciously. I have an idea in my head that most that people are bad, people that I don't know, that's the default setting. Like people are not good. They're just, you know, they're greed-driven creatures who are up to shenanigans. That's I, I just my opinion of our species overall is negative. Okay. So I distance myself from them and then I praise myself for not being like that, right? And this process in itself, just that first part of the process creates a feedback loop. The more I distance myself, the lonelier I become. There might be people all around me, but it doesn't matter because in my head, I'm special, right? This is, this is, this is the story that's going on in my head and my angst grows. I feel the angst grow because I'm basically detaching from humanity and I need humanity. Humans are social creatures. Mm -hmm. My ego tells me that I'm somehow different and special. I put up more walls. I perceive the worst in people to reinforce my beliefs. You'll probably be familiar with that pattern when you're, we both do a lot of negative thinking. If you let yourself go, you just see what you want to see to mm -hmm. reinforce that belief system. Right. And mm -hmm. I can do that with people. If I, if I'm re being really lazy, I'm really tired. I mean, maybe I, I've had a few interactions with people that didn't go well. All of a sudden I'm seeing just darkness everywhere in people. Um, so it sets up a me versus them kind of scenario. Add to this, the individualistic nature of the culture we grew up in, and it becomes the spiritual path of least resistance. Compete, win, be successful. My whole life, that's kind of been the, the message. I mean, this is what we get in, in Western culture. I, as a, a white man, I'm expected to just do that automatically and not even, it's not a consideration of another option. This is the default setting. So go out there and succeed. That's, that's what we're taught to do here and do it by your, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, do it yourself. Right. So what that, what it sets up, and I realize this, that basically since I was in high school, I've seen everything as a battlefield. And that's maybe because of my training in martial arts or, or whatever. I, it just, that us, them mentality set me up for a position of self-isolation. And that, that is the first part of the problem. I didn't understand, or I thought that people were not worth, those people that I don't know about are not worth my effort. I'll focus on the people I like because I know them already and I love them. So I spend all my energy there and that's good and that's fine. And I do good things for people. And generally I am a pretty good person as far as, you know, I'm not out in the middle of the night murdering multiple people and overall my contributions to society are probably positive, but I'm not, not only am I not caring about the rest of our species, I'm actively hating them. And that, that hate for the, these unknown people is driving that beehive. Mm -hmm. I can feel the connection now, which to me is 
I mean, it's, it's incredible Huge. because, because it's, I've never been able to understand anything that toned that down. And so there's all sorts of altruistic reasons why it would be, it's, you know, we should, we should try to help each other. We should be kind. We should care about each other. And the fact that it's something that requires it being a willful act means that instead of looking at the problem, like I usually do and say, ah, you know, the world's fucked, fuck it. The whole thing, life, I didn't ask to be here. You know, what's the problem? I'll do what I can here, but I'm not going to, not going to worry about it. This attitude is, it's flawed and it's not going to do anything to solve any problem. Not only is it not going to solve any problems, it's going to hurt me. Like it's hurting me right now. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not connecting properly with people. Even the people I I think I love, I still have barriers up there that I was unaware of because of this. Not only that, when I look at the mirror and I see a human being looking back at me, there must be some animosity. You know, you can't you you can't be angry or spiteful or hateful towards the human species without some of that falling back on you. Oh yeah. I know what I am. Yeah. Right. And so am I making sense here? You could, you can understand how this could be a driver of addiction for me. A hundred percent. And this is where I was, what I just wrote down was to kind of bring this back to what, how you perceive this to connect to addiction and, and maybe even more specifically opiate addiction, because there are specific features of opiates, I think, that tie into this really, really closely. So yes. I, I'll, I'll pose that as a question to you is what, what, what do you see then to take it one step further as the link there? The reason I believe that I reacted to opiates with, uh, I can remember the, the thought and the, the phrase was, this is the key to life. I found the key to life. And it's because of what, it's because of what it's doing chemically with oxytocin, which is lost or not being developed properly when you're not connecting with people, right? That's the oxytocin is the molecule that our body releases when we, it's a reward for connecting with people basically and caring about mm-hmm. people and them caring about you. Breastfeeding. Breastfeeding. Yeah. It, uh, that, that is uh, one right off the bat. So not just that, but also the, the endorphins, because I mean, you're, it is an actual, it's not an anxiety. It's a, it's very close to a pain that I feel, you know, it's not a, it's an uncomfortability, I guess, but that uncomfortability is trying to tell me something. And I just never knew. I never pieced it together what it was, but opiates were the only solution that I've ever found that has toned that down until I made this connection. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I relate to everything that you're saying here and I'll, I'll make it about me because I certainly don't want to suggest that, you know, anything else that is the key to you. But for me, the other word that I would attach for myself is safety and that feeling about the outside world and about other people. For me, it tied into feeling unsafe emotionally or feeling like I was in an, an unsafe situation or that I was constantly in this state of like needing to protect myself, I think. And you mean from um, like from people letting you down or from people hurting you or I, I think people letting me down or people hurting me or, and this is even pre nursing 
Right. This, yeah. you know, I think I, I was doing the same thing in high school where I was keeping every, you know, everyone at bay to kind of keep myself safe. And everything I told myself about others was to keep myself sort of protected so I wouldn't get hurt or I wouldn't be embarrassed or, or feel unsafe. Right. Um, and I think then tying it into addiction and tying it into opiates um, and what, someone from our group over a year ago used the analogy that opiates were uh, the feeling of a mother's love. Mm-hmm. Like a warm Which blanket. Is, yeah. Like, or the warm blanket, yeah. both, both the mother's love thing and the warm blanket. Those are analogies of safety. Those are scenarios of, of like safety and comfort. Yes. And, and so this constant state of discomfort or, I think for me, a, like a, a just general feeling of a lack of safety, that was a, had a curative effect on, on that feeling. And I didn't feel that lack of safety, even though I was unsafe still and putting myself at higher risk and all the rest, you, you sort of, it, it, it dulled the anxiety and it created some safety there. It's a different type of risk that you're talking about. I think you're talking about vulnerability as in making yourself emotionally vulnerable mm-hmm. which is a that's one of my five tenets tenets that i purport to work on but mm-hmm. i realize i can't i'm not really being as vulnerable as i i can be i'm lying to myself a little bit here because i have this idea of who i am that is somewhat false and it's built up upon a false premise because of this, this strategy I've been using to keep people away. When I'm doing that, I have to, since I'm the only one on my team, I have to prop myself up. So that means I have to build my ego, even though if I, I could be telling myself, well, I'm, you know, I'm better than this. Look at how much better I'm doing here. I'm, you know, I'm, so it makes me, because I'm constantly judging myself, I'm, I also am then uh, motivated to judge others which is all, mm-hmm. it's, it's nonsense. We know it's nonsense. It's not, there's nothing to that. There's never going to be any, nothing valuable will ever come from that behavior. Quite right. the opposite, actually. So that that knowing, I think, is also contributing to that uncomfortable feeling because I'm not being honest with myself. There's a dishonesty going on in there that I was unaware of. You know? I mean, yeah. I... Re- I realize that like I can come off as arrogant sometimes. I've been told that and I I I work on it. But depending on my mood or how many people in a row have given me compliments or whatever, I can I can take that on and if I'm in that mode where I'm pushing people away, I really let that sink in. And what it does is it 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 helps it helps with this belief that I am something different than a human and further isolates me. And we know what self-isolation does in, in any situation with addiction, but this is a more, to me, profound type of isolation. It, it's a type of loneliness that I think can can basically end it for you mm-hmm. if it's not addressed, right? You, you could see how, you know, if left alone to your own devices for long enough, and if you were fueling, like uh, using drugs and continuing to self-isolate, and say uh, you're never checking your attitude. You're never doing any cognitive-based therapy. You're watching the news. You know you're 
you get this idea that the world is on fire and you just sit there in your house and you're, Oh, everything sucks. Ah, and I'm sure there's people out there who are doing that right now, you know, mm-hmm. whether they're uh, using drugs to alleviate that, or if they're just sitting in it, I don't know, but it's dangerous, dangerous, it, faulty thinking. It is. And it's like the brain, the brain does it to protect ourselves in a way to protect ourselves from from being hurt or from whatever it is on the outside i think it's also protecting us from whatever sort of inner reality is also lingering there that we may not want to want to face or may not be ready to dig into and so it like it turns on this like mechanism this overdrive mechanism of Mm self-protection that that can just go full steam ahead and it becomes very, very difficult to stop. I think what you're talking about is is making a step in like in, in taking that mechanism off the rails a little bit and saying like we're kind of regaining control there. Yeah, dialing it down. Yeah, and because <laughs> of course you have no chance of dialing anything down or adjusting any behavior if you don't know what's going on. And on some level that I like, I realize some things I do, or uh, maybe some behaviors I, I use are overcompensating for some kind of a, an insecurity. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I understand that on a, on a conscious level, I guess, but I didn't understand the ramifications of leaving that alone and just moving forward without putting effort towards mitigating that process. Mm-hmm. Cause that's kind of what this always like for both of us, it's, it's about the default setting is running one way. You got that path just trampled down and easy for the brain. It's just going, it takes nothing. That's, that's how it is with negative thinking with both of us. We have to work at it and we have to challenge those thoughts. And then you get new, you know, neuronal development and, and this is how CBT works. But uh, this is another instance, but it's just a large highway (laughs) that I was completely ignoring. So I have to now, I got to go through this and I got to look at how, what kind of changes am I going to make in my life to, to make sure that I'm not allowing this internal rhetoric that, that feeds my ego to to put me in a place where I'm no longer humble enough to make myself truly vulnerable. No longer. I I don't have the humility to be completely honest with myself. So that's two of my primary tenets that I can't really a hundred percent get them. I can't grasp them or, 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 or have them grow to the full potential of the, of that path because of this. So yeah, it's a very interesting kind of epiphany i guess interesting to me you know and i think that they this is why that coming kind of coming back to the beginning of the conversation about religion and spirituality too this is why i think it is called a a spiritual practice yes yes and that for the people for the practitioners or just the participants who are really working at it it is a practice and i think the the end result of practicing gratitude or self-love or or charity as we're talking about is that it there's less space for that other dialogue there's less space for the negative dialogue it becomes easier to go to 
love and universal acceptance of others and self-acceptance and all those positive beneficial things if you're doing it like we've talked about you know neurons that fire together wire together you know and, yes. and that going there makes it easier easier to going there a lot makes it easier to go there when you need to yeah or to not go to a bad place when you don't want to it might be the it might be that you just have narrowed that highway enough so that you didn't make a decision or say something that you shouldn't have said or you know these are all things that are kind of running in the background unchecked with me right now mm-hmm. um and yeah i mean the, this virtue is a you know of paramount importance for christianity islam and when you go to the uh eastern religions i don't like their idea about how everything is like the the, the general idea that everything here is suffering and that the point of what they're doing is trying to achieve enlightenment so that they alleviate the suffering. I don't, for one, I don't think, I mean, my life is not suffering all the time. Like, I mean, I sleep for eight hours of every day and that's quite peaceful. So that's that part right there. And the rest of it is kind of up and down, you know, mm-hmm. um, the challenges I do face are, that's what we're doing here is basically trying to somehow grow as an individual like, through these processes. It's a, uh, kind of the way I make sense of it anyway. But um, nevertheless, their idea that it is a practice and that people start at different places along the road, like they talk about these kind of prodigies who are born, they say they're born on the path of yoga. So like, look at me, I'm 44. It took me this long to figure out what charity means in this respect. Okay. And they're saying that the you know these uh, there's there's prodigies out there who are just born, and they seem to grasp these kind of concepts quickly. They understand why it's not just it's not just a good thing to do or the because it's the right thing to do ethically. It's because these types of problems are the problems that are driving us over the edge right now. Everything could be solved if people worked a little bit harder on treating each other better, being kinder, being less greedy, uh, less envious, less driven by material desire. That's the whole thing, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not like it's a trivial pursuit. It is the pursuit. It is like, it is of utmost importance that we try to do this on a personal level and then on a, on a greater level too. And maybe it didn't ring as like, I think the message is lost maybe for us in the West or certainly for me because of like the sixties, you know, all they need is love, love, love. That's not really the message. We need more than love. Yeah. It's an oversimplification. Yes. Yes. It was a good attempt. (laughs) You know, they were, their heart was in the right place. They're pointing the ship in the right direction, but the engine is never going to be strong enough to get it to where it needs to go Mm -hmm. with just love. There has to be more than that. It has to be genuine concern for our fellow human beings on a level that's been, you know, unprecedented. Um, So another question for you in thinking about your role within the healthcare recovery community and all of the people that you know, that are dealing with the, the system, the machine, who are struggling and who are up against a lot of stigma and a lot of judgment and difficulty. Do you have, does this 
do you have any thought on how this could sort of influence your approach there or your style moving forward? Yeah, I got a lot of thought about thoughts about that. Uh, first, I'd like to express, I guess I'd like to apologize for the way that I've been going at this. And like I said, when you view the world as a battlefield, you tend to, it's very easy to fall into a mode of attack. Like the way I was talking about uh, David Eby or the way we rip on uh, Sheila Malcolmson and these ministers who are, in, you know, my, my brother-in-law lives pretty close to uh, David Eby and he, you know, he sees him outside playing with his son all the time. And we were talking about, you know, how he's going to be the next premier and all this kind of thing. And I, I, you know, I have a cl classification in my head that is politician. And then I add that to my don't know human, but politician. Now it's real bad, right? But he's just another person. He's like me. Mm -hmm. We're from the same thing. And it might even be that, you know, I won't get too esoteric, but... I think that we need to, I need to come at this problem, not with a, uh, not with the typical, you know, I, I think I've been falling into that trap of a, uh, a polarized state, you know, where it's like, you know, we're the people who are, are pro safe supply. We're the people who want a progressive uh, outlook on this situation so we could save lives. Like, why isn't anybody doing this? That is confusing. That's, you know, I totally, uh, I don't have any problem with my thinking in that respect, but the way mm -hmm. that I'm presenting it perhaps is not been well thought through. So I think that I need to consider the individuals as people, even the politicians. I need to think about the fact that there's many things I don't know about them. They have mm -hmm. personal lives. They have, you know, they have bosses. Some of them have bosses that probably don't let them do very much at all as far as their autonomy is concerned and their job. And I don't know about that. I mean, I, I know very little about what's going on there. So sitting here yelling about it and calling them all, uh, you know, whatever bad politicians are, are saying they're not doing their job. It does nothing. Nothing can come of that. That is going to be, that is going to be positive. Nothing can come of that. That is going to make me be a part of any kind of a solution. Mm-hmm. So I think overall, that's, that, that is something that I need to address. I don't want to be, you know, I don't want this show to be about attacking people who don't believe what we believe. I want yeah. this show to be about talking to people who have different ideas so that we can learn something. And that requires humility and it requires being open and sometimes even vulnerable. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yeah, that, that was something that uh, was, has been on my mind all day, actually. You know, I love the quote from the Dalai Lama where he talks empathetically about Mao, Mao Zedong, who, because of him, he was exiled out of, out of China and had to leave and, and lost everything and became sort of living on the lamb. And he said that Mao was his greatest teacher because without the person who oppressed him, he wouldn't have sort of gotten further in his spiritual practice and learned all of these things about empathy and about compassion and um, lived in this sort of very humble, homeless state. And it was the person who was oppressing him who, who kind of 
got him to to learn the ultimate lesson there. Yeah, see, this is the sign of a of a hyper developed mind. Mm-hmm. I believe that that is attainable. Humans can get to that point where they've basically you've rebuilt your mind to just to see things as opportunities for growth in every aspect. I believe that's possible. Some people are obviously going to be better at it than others, uh, just like anything else. But I mean, how many people are going to react that way? Right. You know, that's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have the author. I think this is a Chinese author. I have but one word to say to you concerning love for your neighbor, namely that nothing save humility can mold you to it. Nothing but the consciousness of your own weakness can make you indulgent and pitiful to that of others. This rings true for me because before my problem with uh, opiates, I look at the difference between the way I treated methadone patients then and now. And before, you know, they're kind of, they were a group of people that I viewed with stigma. I did my job, but I didn't go out of my way to do anything and was probably kind of like aloof, right? Mm -hmm. Now those people are my favorite people to interact with and they see it. They see that right away mm-hmm. because I, f- I feel their pain because I know, I know their pain, mm-hmm. right? So that's that part there being, you know, being able to, to connect with people on that level and, and having the humility to do it, I guess, is, is what he's saying there. But yeah, you know, I think it's oftentimes easier to focus on our contempt of others versus the contempt we may feel about ourselves at a given time. And then it's also similarly easier to feel love and empathy towards others. And then not necessarily even realize that, like you said, part of why you connect with those people is that there's very much that is relatable in yourself. And then if so, then the harder job there, I think, is to turn that towards yourself and to be as kind and warm and friendly and understanding of yourself as you are to them in those moments, in, the, yeah. in that moment. Yes. That's, that's, the, that's the trick there, right? It is the trick. And that's why I think a, a lot of these philosophers make sure to include loving God or the universe and man and yourself as yourself it doesn't mean much to uh, love your neighbor as yourself if you're just brutal to yourself. Right. And that's, I think that's another kind of trait of people who have trouble. Well, certainly a trait of healthcare professionals in general, they like to get away from their, their what's going on in their own head and help somebody else when they won't help themselves. They'll help 10 other people, Mm -hmm. you know, so they're not being kind themselves, which uh, that was a lesson I had to learn. Uh, it took me a long time too, but I am on my own team, but now I got to get on team humans. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and it can't just be the people I like. And yeah, I think that's it. That's my, uh, that's my epiphany. So let us know uh, what your thoughts are on that. I would love to get feedback in whatever way, shape or form. This will be uh, up in audio and up on video, of course. Thanks for listening. 